Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome into a special edition of College Golf Talk. We'll call this College Golf Talk Extra Credit, the first episode of the new year. Happy New Year. Happy 2023. My beloved co-host Steve Burkowski will be back in a couple weeks as we preview the spring season in men's and women's college golf. But I wanted to jump on. I wanted to spend some time with Vanderbilt's Gordon Sargent. Some timely news in the world of college golf with Sargent receiving a special invitation to the Masters Tournament. Uh, we talked about plenty of things from the surprise that came with getting a call from Augusta National. We talked about his crazy speed numbers. What's the highest swing and ball speed that he's reached so far in his young career? We talked about how he ended up at Vanderbilt, how he ultimately won the NCAA individual title last spring at Greyhawk. And of course, we talked about the craziest live rumors that he has heard about himself. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you will too. And it is time to welcome in a guest that I am super thrilled about having on College Golf Talk. He is the NCAA reigning NCAA individual champion, Vanderbilt sophomore Gordon Sargent. Gordon, it's been a few days since I saw you out at the Jones Cup. Nice T6 finish. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Are you you back in Nashville now? I am. Yeah, I got back uh, last night. So Got first day of class uh, today and just kind of getting back into the swing of things here. So the first order of business is last week, it's been about uh, about eight days since you first discovered that you would be playing in the 2023 Masters. Have you gotten the invite in the mail yet or is it still in transit? I have. It came in yesterday. So it was sent to my house. So I've, I've got pictures of it. So I hope it's real. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, 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 I was going to say, it, it was it a little bit surprising so. for you. It was a little bit surprising for you? A little bit. I mean, obviously, I wasn't, like, expecting it. They hadn't done anything like that in 23 years, I think. Um, but, yeah, it was. I was a little caught off guard by it, especially sitting on my couch at 9 a.m. on Monday morning and just, like, right after Christmas. So I was just kind of – I answered it to answer it and was kind of just – kept going with the phone call and eventually was like wow that's pretty cool so so does the caller id pop up augusta national or it does yeah it was a random phone number and then it said augusta national under it so that's what made me answer it (laughs) 
Now, you said that you thought it was a joke last week. You were talking to our good pal Ben Adelberg from the back of the range. You said some. you thought someone initially might have been pranking you. Out of anyone on your team, whether it's a teammate or a coach or maybe one of your friends, who do you think is most capable of pulling off that prank with the caller ID with everything? Yeah, I, it would have had to been like William Mall or Matthew Riedel, but like I, I, I just couldn't figure out anyone that could possibly be pranking me with that. I because I, I didn't remember the guy's name. I, everything kind of just went dark like once he started talking to me. So that was my only like little bit of doubt. But um, no, he it was great, and um, thankfully it was not. It, it, thankfully, it is real. <laughs> well, no one could blame you for being a little bit shocked. I think we all were shocked because this isn't something that the Masters tournament does every day. They, they invite annually the USAM winner, the USAM runner-up, a few other amateur event winners to get invites, but this is a special invite. It's not officially official for the NCAA champion every year, but I would hope that's where they're going. But what do you, what does this mean to you? And I guess generally and overall, what is, what do you think this means for, for college golf to be able to have one of their own, their winner of their, national championship playing in the first major of the year yeah i think it's really cool like you see kind of all the tournaments around the world having perks like if you win and stuff and there really hasn't been anything like specifically from the ncaa's but um obviously there's been a bunch of benefits like recognition and all that stuff but um to kind of just be able to once you know you can compete at college golf to be able to have the opportunity to compete at the highest level against the best players is really special um and yeah just knowing that I'll be kind of representing college golf there along with a few other guys is, um, is cool and just makes you want to try and keep getting better and um, makes you thankful for being in college golf. Now you still have a few more months until you get on the grounds there. Well, I would assume you probably had up to play a, a practice round here or there, but you also mentioned last week about trying to stay present and trying to focus on kind of the task at hand. How hard has that been so far? I mean, you've already played one tournament, under your belt since knowing that in three months time, you're going to be playing the masters. So what's the challenge and how do you, how do you master that? No pun intended. Yeah. It, uh, it wasn't super easy at the Jones cup just cause like I kind of went there and nobody knew it was, like that I was playing in the masters and then it kind of broke during the practice round. And um, you kind of just had to use the golf course as a space where people weren't going to bother you. Cause obviously like, yeah, it's cool to have the congratulations text and all that stuff, but also you're kind of focused on playing good golf and, um, like you're, you're playing the Jones cup either way, whether you're in the masters or not. So, um, you kind of just had to put the masters thing in the, in the rear view mirror and just, um, I think I had my phone on doing that to serve all week and just kind of focused on that. And, um, but also like, I think you can use it to stay just a little bit more positive, like, like the Jones cup is obviously a great opportunity, but it, you can just see it as a learning experience to get better and better. Um, so yeah, it was fun to play in that and, um, see all the people that, kind of follow golf and see how, how big of a deal it is to get that special invite. Um, but yeah, it's like going forward in college golf, like it's still going to be there. Um, people congratulating you, seeing you saying stuff about the masters, but just kind of focusing on like day in and day out, just kind of getting better with your teammates and focusing on those college tournaments. Cause what it really comes down to is we all want to win that NCAA championship at the end of the year. So um, just, and like it takes one turn at a time, just getting better and better. And I feel like last year we did a really good job of kind of focusing on each tournament and trying to get better. And we, we got eventually like we kind of just kept building momentum and that carried over to NCAAs. Um, 
So yeah, just kind of staying present, like you said, is super important. Besides this idiot golf rider right here, how many people would you say brought it up these past four days? Um, I had a pretty fair share of text messages, um, which I did, I like got to responding to, but it wasn't like super right away. But um, yeah, it was, it was nice that like on the course, people know not to bother you. So it's easy to, like, it's, it's a little bit easier to focus on the round when you know that, but but it's also cool that like people are watching you because they know you're going to be playing in the masters. So um, yeah, just kind of using the golf course as a place to get away from it. But then outside of it, it's like, like it's a big deal and kind of enjoy getting that, like knowing that people follow you, follow you. So um, there were, I would say in to- like, I probably had like over 250 text messages total, but um, yeah, I just kind of, thankfully on the golf course, nobody knew, everybody knew not to bother you. So, um, but yeah, like I said, it's just cool to know that everyone's following along. Yeah. Now fans obviously aren't five, six deep at ocean forest for the Jones cup, but it was cool seeing, saw a few fathers and sons out there watching. You has some, you know, 11, 12 year olds hoping one day to maybe be in your shoes. There's going to be a few more eyeballs on you here in a few months at Augusta. Have you played, the course before i have i played it a couple years ago but um obviously like my game's kind of developed and so i'll hopefully try and get back there before the masters at some point but i think the main goal right now is focusing on college golfs and, and making that a priority so um yeah i've been fortunate enough to play it a couple years ago but uh, i'm just really looking forward to getting back there now i'm not gonna have you take me all 18 and go through your birdies and all that but i would like to maybe touch on just a few holes and just kind of project what you would hit and what you think you might have in, you know, assuming that the weather is fairly moderate. Um, but off number one, would you hit driver? I, 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 cause I, when I played there, I was probably 14. So that hole was a lot bit like, I'm hitting like a three iron into that hole. Um, so obviously right now I'd say, yes, I'm hitting driver, but I guess condition wise, it can change a little bit. So, but I do like to hit that little cut, so it kind of fits my eye nicely. So I would probably plan on hitting driver, correct? What about a number 10 down that chute? Um, probably a three-wood or something just to get it kind of turned over a little bit and chasing down that hill. I don't think there's too much of an advantage of hitting driver there. But I guess if you're kind of in the moment and you're feeling driver, then I don't have any problem with it. Now, you're more of a fade guy, right, especially with the driver? Yeah, I like to hit the fade. So 13's not a hole that – especially with the added length now, probably not going to be uh, a hole that you're turning driver over on. I, I, it just depends on kind of how you're feeling. Like if you get that week and you kind of feeling it with the driver and you're comfortable, then maybe it's a hole, but I'm kind of in- interested to see kind of how it sets up with that added distance since not, since they, like I said, I haven't played a master's there since it's been redone. So um, yeah, like I, I'm not going to go in with a set game plan, but I kind of, I'll talk to some guys who played there and just kind of get a mindset of what to kind of be expecting. Now it's almost a bit like I would compare it to Sasquatch or the Loch Ness monster, kind of your swing speed and ball speed numbers, because I've seen you hit a golf ball. A lot of people have seen you drive the golf ball, but I don't know if we've had Trackman matched up with it when we've seen it. So could you just maybe, explain or go over your gamer numbers like just kind of what you groove it at normally and then what are your personal best for swing speed and ball speed yeah um 
I would say like average numbers are probably 185, like 186. Um, and then hopefully coach doesn't get mad at me here for saying that sometimes I'll do some speed training, get after it. And I actually yesterday got 197 ball speed. So that was the, that's my top so far. Um, I think the club series was like 131 or 132 there. Um, but yeah, obviously not going that hard on the course, but, um, I feel like I kind of had an advantage, like when I was small, just kind of learn how to swing the club and figure out how to hit it further. And then once you kind of mature a little bit and grow into your body, then the distance just kind of stays there and it feels a lot easier. So I've been fortunate with that. And um, just, yeah, I I think 185, 186 is probably about average. Now do your speed sessions, do, do they look anything like Bryson's where you're grunting and sweating and, I wouldn't, I don't, know about, I don't know about grunting, but um, there, there's definitely some videos on people's phones of me going after it and like almost falling over after. So I don't know if I could pull that one out in a tournament, but um, yeah, there's definitely some times to try and get after it. So you mentioned learning how to swing a club at a young age. You're about what, six feet now, give or take? Yeah, six foot. What were you two two three years ago maybe as a high school I, high school junior uh was, yeah high school junior I feel like let's just say sophomore I was probably five six five seven so just kind of like grown a little bit and then kind of got in the workout room a little bit more and kind of figured out how to use that speed um so that's been beneficial but also like controlling it um just not getting letting it get out of hand because there's a point to where if I'm swinging that hard every single time then I'm not going to hit very many fairways so um, finding that right balance is important too. Now for someone like me, who's 32 years old and probably hits it about 260 on a good day, it, these, it's probably not going to help, but what advice would you have for someone who is maybe in high school, maybe in middle school about getting longer? Like what is the right way to get longer? What's a tip or trick you have to maybe add? five, 10 miles per hour to your swing? Um, I feel like it definitely starts with like kind of understanding your body in the workout room, um, knowing what kind of works for you, especially recovery wise. Cause you don't want to, you obviously don't want to push it to a point where you're not feeling good on the course. Um, but I feel like there's no, like if you go out there and swing those speed sticks or you start swinging hard, like it, it's going to be beneficial, but also you're going to have to be able, train your core to be able to keep up with you or train your glutes to be able to, like keep up with your speed. So um, just not focusing only on trying to swing the club faster, but also control it. Cause like, I think it's like one thing I've noticed is that like the bigger, the guy, they can swing pretty easy, but it's still fast. Like, so um, there've been plenty of guys where they're swinging pretty easy and you're what you're like, wow, that was one thirty, just like super controlled. So if you can get to a point where you're controlling it, um, but also can kind of go after a little bit, I feel like that's, where you find like the sweet spot. Who do you look up to in terms of, of swinging it fast and easy? I, I mean, I think the prime example is like Justin Thomas, not necessarily that he has crazy ball speed numbers, but that he knows how to kind of hit those off speed shots too. And he's kind of trained himself to have a bunch of different shots. So I think that's kind of who everyone should look up to when it comes to ball striking. And I guess he kind of took after Tiger a little bit, but um yeah, just knowing when to hit the proper shots too is really important. Now, kind of take me through your most comfortable shot, like distance, lie, club, 
maybe shot shape. What's a shot that you stand over and you just kind of lick your lips because you know you're gonna you're gonna hit it close. I really like like a back right pin with kind of a long iron, um, especially because like I feel like I can just kind of start at the left edge of the green, just kind of fade it in there, and I know that's gonna land pretty soft. And um, yeah, if I have like a seven six five iron to a back right pin, I I kind of like it. Severe downhill lie, right? Like. Yeah, maybe maybe not that much, but maybe a hair upslope. But well, uh, on the on the flip side though, what's a shot that you kind of have nightmares about that you just don't want to like you're trying to avoid when you're when you're playing around? I don't love the driver with the wind off the left, um, and that's something I need to work on. Like I've talked to the coaches, and we've kind of worked on that, and also just kind of like off speed wedge shots, like that pitching wedge from 100 yards where you really got to control it. Um, and that's where I feel like you see the most separation and the best players in the game, like hitting the correct shots and keeping it in the correct spots and knowing how to hit those shots. So that's something where I feel like everyone on our team's got to get better. And um, we're kind of, I feel like we emphasize that a lot in our practices. So we're making strides there. Now, back in August, I talked to your head coach, Scott Limbaugh, just about season preview stuff, what to expect. You guys obviously have a really stout squad with you at the top. Uh, but it seems like Coach Limbaugh always has some sort of rah-rah head coaching mantra or slogan or something to get you guys motivated. And there was a quote that kind of stood out where he's like, don't let expectations rob you of the journey. Ha- have you heard that from him a lot? And, and what what do you think that means? I think it's just like you have to – you have to when you're out on the golf course, you have to have a point where you're having fun still. And, like, we've kind of – like I feel like a little bit last year when we were playing so good, um, we kind of let like a little bit of bad golf kind of get us in a bad mood um, just because we were expecting good golf. Um, and like coming into this year, it had been easy to expect that we were going to play well um, with returning most of our lineup. And we knew we had some good players coming in. So um, yeah, just kind of, you just have to focus on, you can't let anything be given to you. Um and I feel like we put, did a pretty good job this fall. We got a little sloppy in some areas, but um, just kind of trusting what he says. And he, although he's not like, he knows he's not right all the time, but he's good with confrontation and kind of showing us like where we need to get better. And we all listen to him and respect him. So um, yeah, just making sure that just cause you've done something doesn't mean that something's going to happen in the future. Like just cause we played, solid this fall doesn't mean that we're making the national championships like we still got to go put the work in so that's kind of where he emphasizes that statement does that apply to you a lot more individually now than maybe it did 12 months ago i think so like coming in is like you're getting interviews kind of the eyes are on you um podcasts yeah is a is a good and bad thing but um like you use it as confidence that to know that you can compete with the highest guys but also like I think it should motivate you to know that if you put in the work, then you're going to be where you want to be. Um, and then you can get to that point. So yeah, he's kind of just emphasized um, him and coach Todd have both just kind of helped us in this off season. We kind of all sat down and everyone on the team said stuff they wanted to get better at, um, which I think is when you have success is easy to overlook. Um, but yeah, that's something we really emphasize in this program. And uh, I think is a really big asset. Do you like the extra attention that, that you've gotten the last 12 months or are you kind of programmed to be more humble 
and maybe a little bit uncomfortable with, with so many people asking so much of you? I mean, I think like it's human nature to like it, but also like, I think you can use it as a little bit motivation as to like, this is not like where I, exactly where I want to like end up, you know, like just cause you've had success doesn't mean that you're going to continue to have success. So if you, if you like being in the spotlight, then continue to put the work in and there's a good chance you're going to be in the spotlight. So, um, yeah, like you obviously have high expectations for yourself and you know that you can achieve those with, when you really get down and put the work in. So I think the spotlight's good and we enjoy having it as our team. Um, but it also kind of motivates us to continue to get better and keep that spotlight. Who humbles you the most or who keeps you grounded the most? I think the coaches, because they're not afraid just because like you've played good golf to kind of kiss up to you or like just play favorites and stuff. They're still going to confront you, criticize you, get on to you if you do something that you shouldn't be doing, you know? So um, I think both Coach Todd and Coach Limbaugh keep us all accountable. And I feel like we have a really close-knit team um, who holds each other accountable too. There's no – it's not personal if they're going to get on to you for not putting the utmost effort. So I think just kind of our team atmosphere is what holds everyone accountable. I just can't imagine Limbaugh getting on you, but I guess I guess at the same time I could. What's the last time he's uh, he, he's kind of called you out for something that you didn't do? Uh, our first team meeting uh, this off season, he got on to me just because my body language was not where it needed to be in that final match against Arizona State. I kind of and he told me, and he was right that like when he kind of I think he joined our match on fifth fourteen. Um, I think I was one down at the time, but I kind of acted like the match was already over. Um, and that's something that I need to get better at. And if we want to be where we want to be in the come the spring, then we all have to get better out and hold each other accountable for that. What frustrated you the most that match? I was, I think it was just the fact that I was playing good golf, but just couldn't really get any momentum. Um, wasn't driving it particularly great, which is one of my strengths. So, just kind of felt like I was behind the eight ball the whole time. And um, that's kind of where it, I, I made a few putts that I needed to make, but also didn't make some and acted like it was the end of the world, which is just not what you can do. And you just can't do that in match play. Mm-hmm. I remember a story when John Augustine was still at Vanderbilt and coach made him get back off the, off the bus. Cause he didn't shave. So as long as you're shaving and as long as you smile a little bit more in the golf course, I think you'll be all right. Right. Correct. Yeah. Coach, Coach has his standards and we all live up to him and I think it makes us better. I think we got, we have a couple bets to where you read, especially can grow out his beard in the, in the, in the postseason. But um, for me in particular, it's not that big of an issue. I remember there's been like one time he's gotten on to me and he was, I was like, I don't, do I have to shave? Cause he's like, if you play better than you did yesterday, then you don't have to. And then I didn't play. So play better. So I had to shave, but um, no, we all, kind of respect where he's at. And um, I think that's what makes us like one of the best programs. Now there's been a lot of great players in college golf for the last, I mean, really in the history of college golf, especially the last decade with, with Jordan Spieth and JT and John Rahm and Maverick McNeely, Patrick Rogers. I mean, there's so many, but, and you've probably heard this, there have been equipment reps, agents, things like that. People who have seen a lot of college golf say that you are, the best player or at least potential wise in the last decade. Uh, is that something that one you agree with? And if not, who do you think is the best of the last 10 years or so? Um, well, I think if you're just going off of like a pure aspect of like winning 
the guys that you mentioned um, who achieved kind of got to those 20 points or would have gotten to those 20 points now that went with the PJ tour accelerated thing um, are definitely up there, but like any of us like in our program, if we have a good spring and just kind of, meet our expectations and put the work in, then I feel like all of us can kind of get to that point. Um, and I feel like it's been, it's been really enjoyable to see kind of everyone on the team get better. Cause it just, we push each other each and every day. Um, Cause obviously no one wants to be the one not traveling to the tournament. Um, but yeah, just kind of, I don't know if I would say I'm the best one, but I feel like obviously if I have, if I meet the expectations and goals that I have, then there's a chance of that. Um, but yeah, I think it's easy to get caught up in that, um, in the individual success, which I feel like can kind of ruin teams. Um, so we're just kind of focused on getting to where we need to be and come into May, beginning of June. So I feel like just kind of pushing each other each and every day is where, what we need to do. I'm glad you brought up the accelerated because I think when it first came out a few months ago, people called it the Gordon Sargent role, just because you are probably along with Michael Thorne-Gorenson from Stanford, the two guys most likely to be the first guy to achieve that 20-point threshold. Now, you're at 10 points right now. You mentioned your goals. How, how big of a goal is getting those 20 points? And do you kind of have it mapped out to where, all right, I can, you know, I can pick off a point here, two points here, three points here? I mean, I think you look at it a little bit, but at the same time, like when you sit down at the beginning of the year and your goal is – to be national player, the, win the Haskins award. Like you're not, I'm not looking at that as three points. That's kind of just like a bonus that comes with it. So um, yeah, I'd like it definitely is something that you look at a little bit, especially with scheduling, like in the summer, like maybe play a PJ tour event, make a cut, get a point there. Um, play Palmer cup, play Walker cup. Like those are big goals. And I feel like the points just come along with it, but also there's a point where you might, might, it might benefit you because like, just if you can, so you reach that threshold half at the end of your um, junior year. Like, I think it's really cool that it, you don't lose those 20 points. So you can stay your fourth year knowing you have a PJ tour card waiting for you. So I think that's something really cool that they've done. And like, if you're, if you're, you may not even be ready when you get those 20 points. Like I can't even imagine traveling the world by myself playing professional golf at age 20. Like I'd rather just stay in college another couple of years and get better. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something you look at, but I, I think if you achieve like with those goals you set down before the year, I'm not looking at those as points. I'm looking at those as like, that means that I played good golf this college year and helped our team get to where we needed to be. Now in a roundabout way, you kind of answered my next question hypothetically, because I'm looking at the criteria for accelerated and you're playing in the masters. You can earn a maximum if you top 20 that week of four points, that would put you at 14. Then let's just say you, jump two more spots in the world amateur golf ranking. You're currently third. You get to first. That's two more points. At that point, you would basically need to win one of the three postseason awards or two of the, two of the three postseason awards, which most guys win the, the Nicholas and the Haskins in the same year. Um, I think it's more often than not, um, it goes to one guy instead of split. Um, all that being said, if you were to get to 20, uh, how, how hard of a decision would that be to – put it off for two years or one year and not jump right there, right out there on, on the PGA tour right away this summer. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be like, you know, you'd obviously be thinking about it because there's just so much that comes along with it. But at the same time, everyone tell you that tells you that college is the best time of your life. And 
um, you go from junior golf where like you have a bunch of people supporting you and, but you're kind of individual. And then college golf is really the only time where you're on a team besides like Ryder cup, Walker cup and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I think just like if, if I achieved it after this year, I'm still definitely going to come back for my junior year. And obviously things could change a little bit after that, but like, I don't think I'm ready to play professional golf right now. Um, so I think just spending the most time in college, cause in our program, you're going to, if you listen to coach some ball and kind of hold each other accountable, you're going to get better. So, um, college is not, it's definitely not going to hurt you. And, um, we all enjoy putting, putting the work in here. So I think it's just a great benefit that if you have a PJ tour card waiting for you, I think it gives you a lot of freedom. Um, but also like it could, you could kind of slack off a little bit, but in our program, I feel like that's just not going to be an issue. What's the one characteristic or you know, part of your game or maybe part of your, you know, just your makeup uh, makes you not ready right now? I think just like, I, I'm just like seeing how much I've matured since I've got to college and like over the last year and a half, just like makes me kind of excited to keep playing college golf. I think being around some of the greatest players in the country and having two of the best coaches in the country is like what makes us want to be here. Um, so yeah, just kind of being in this program is one of the reasons why I think I'd, I'd want to stay in college golf. And um, it's not that I don't think my game's ready, but I just feel like coming out of college, like immediately, like there's just going to be a little bit of doubt in your mind after two years when, if you stay all four years, like, you're going to be ready if you've hit that 20 points, like especially in the Vanderbilt program. Mm -hmm. Now you've probably been asked questions about live golf. You've probably heard just outlandish rumors, all of this stuff. What's the craziest live rumor that you've caught wind of about yourself? Someone at the SEC match play, like just came to me out of the blue and was like, congrats on the live offer. And I was like, I, I I have had no contact with Liv. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And the guy thought I was, like, lying to him. And I'm like, no, like, I, I haven't talked to Liv at all. And he, what was the he, offer? He said what that. Was there an amount? Me, he said it was $50 million. And I, I, I was like, hey, sir, I promise you that's just not true. <laughs> so that's, that's the craziest. $50 million, you know, you may be. <laughs> that's the craziest thing. Like <laughs> Jeez. Now, how much do you think about money right now? just as an amateur golfer mm -hmm. there's obviously NIL, but how much do you think about money out in the course? When I'm out on the course, not like, not at all. I think like when if you're thinking about all the difference between pro golf and college golf and yeah, it's definitely a little bit of an aspect. And, but now with the NIL, it's like, you can still make, you can put a little bit of money in your pocket. And I feel like that's only good for pro golf. Like it's expensive. Like you're going to like, but the last thing you want to do when you get out there is put pressure on yourself to make money and make cuts. So um, I think just kind of getting, like staying in college and taking advantage of the NIL, but also not, not going to an extent where that becomes like your life. Like I, we all want to focus on college and like have a good time and be, hang out with each other. We don't want to necessarily be this, like show up the tournaments with a bunch of logos on our shirts. Like that's, that's professional golf. We're not at that point yet. So that's for the U S amateur, you know, you gotta yes. save that for the U S ham. There's a, um, there's a couple, like you think about it a little bit and there's a couple like companies I definitely want to do NIL with, but there's not like, I'm not out there. None of us on our team are out there chasing money. Mm -hmm. Now we'll take a break from our regularly, regularly scheduled program and to maybe shout out the sponsors that you do have. What, uh, what NIL deals or what deals do you currently have? Uh, I just have one with Titles and Footjoy at the moment. So um, I've now, kind of. Now played... you've, you've been with them, whether it's in an official NIL capacity, but you've played them for how many years? 
uh, probably since I was like 10, I've had kind of a relationship with them and they make the best product and there's no reason to switch. So uh, I've been really happy with, with uh, my relationship with them. What's the best story where they've kind of saved your skin at a tournament? Maybe you, you broke a club or you bent a club or, or something. You forgot balls, forgot something who, uh, who came in and saved the day. Um, I'm trying to think there's nothing that stands out to me. Like I think the best one is last year at regionals. I was, we were down at Palm beach and I was playing a 10 degree TSI and I just started like spinning it a lot. Nothing was wrong with the club, but I just started spinning it a lot. And, uh, I remember I talked to Scott crawl and, uh, I was like, Hey, like, can I get a nine degree head? And he's like, uh, yeah. And I, we were like really hesitant on whether I was going to switch. This was after the second round. We were hesitant on whether I was going to switch or not. And I eventually just was like, I'm switching to it the third round and played the shot like bogey free six under at PJ national. And was like, like, that's kind of that, like, I think just them being there at all the events is comforting and makes you just like trust what, what you're doing. Are you still playing a nine degree or you switch back? I still, I still have a nine degree. Yeah. Wow. So. Look at that. Now, you saying that you're going to come back through junior year will obviously open up the opportunity to, to represent your country again. You played in the World Amateur Team Championship uh, last fall, but to play in a Walker Cup, you were just part of the practice session. How, how high on the list of goals is that? And what would that mean to be able to be in St. Andrews this September wearing the red, red, white, and blue again? I think I remember last year before the year I sat down and my two goals were be in kind of a good position to make the, that this was before my freshman year being in a good position to make the ball come be a first team all American. Um, and so I, I kind of put myself in both those positions. Like I was first team all American, put myself in position. So it was really cool to kind of get that opportunity to go down to um, South Florida and be in the practice session, kind of get to know all the guys and um, especially talking to some of the guys who have played Walker cups recently um, and just seeing how important and like how cool of an experience it was to them. Um, so I think it'd be, it's be one of the coolest things, especially at St. Andrews. I don't think there'd be anything like it. I think it'd be something that we'd all remember for the rest of our lives for sure. How much time did you, did you get to spend, uh, around my good pal, Stuart Hegestad at the practice? Session? Um, so he was, it, we had a blue and a white team. He was on my team. So we played, um, a little nine hole alternate shot together. And, um, but yeah, we, uh, we all hung out and got to know each other, which I think was the main objective of that practice session, but also, uh, just kind of be able to put your games together and kind of get a little bit of information about each other for the actual Walker cup. Now I'm going to ask you two more questions about the practice session, not to, you know, maybe give me too much of the inside scoop, but I heard there was a lot of blackjack that went on. Who's the best blackjack player? Um, Who's the best blackjack player on the? I can't say that I played a lot of blackjack, but I'm trying to think who lost the most. Robbie, Robbie Z from the USJ. He, he's not afraid to play a little bit. Um, Nick Gabrelsic plays a lot. Uh, Bryce Lewis was in there. There were a bunch of guys, but it was a fun time. Then you played a few courses. You played Seminole, you played MacArthur, you played Michael Jordan's course. What is the coolest part about playing Grove? Uh, maybe just aside from from the actual golf course, what was something that kind of stood out? Like, wow, I you know I haven't seen that before. I mean, the clubhouse is kind of unmatched and the practice facilities are great. Um, you know, we got out there, they had 
every, whatever ball you played, that's what kind of range ball you had. Um, the experience was kind of unmatched. And then you get on the course and you're driving 40 miles an hour down the fairway in the, in the cart. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a place where you can spend like all day on that practice range and then go out and have a great time on the course. So it was a really cool place. Now, one thing that clubhouse does not have is a crow's nest. Or, do you already have your, uh, your plan out for what nights you're going to stay in the crow's nest? Um, I, I'm hoping to stay in it on Monday night after the amateur dinner. Um, but I'm currently working on my registration going through that process. So hopefully I'm hoping for Monday night. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how does the crow's nest you think compare to your current dorm room? A little bit, a little bit smaller. Or? The bed sizes are probably the same. Um, but well, you, yeah, you sleep in a twin size bed. I do. Yeah. We've uh, Jackson Van Paris and I have been in the twin size beds for about a year and a half now. Are um, they bunk beds? That's the question. No, they're not they... bunk beds. They're not bunk beds. You, I, but, uh, I've seen a movie where you can actually do that. You, you can turn them I, into bunk we, beds. I think we could do that, but we decided not. our room is big enough where we do not need bunk beds. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the twin beds are not, not very, not, not the best, but uh, I guess it's a little bit of practice for the, for the crow's nest. Well, I mean, if there's one thing that keeps you humble, it's, it's still, uh, you know, having your feet hang off the, yeah. bottom of the bed but uh, yeah. so another interesting thing about my conversation with Limbaugh last August was but you know we were talking about you we were talking about your freshman year you obviously won the Phil Nicholson award or I think they call it the most outstanding freshman award now um, after everything that's that's gone on but he said that if I were to ask you how you would sum up your freshman year uh, sure you did some great things you know you won twice you won an NCAA championship individually but he said you would be fairly disappointed with aspects of your season. Is that true? And how would you rate your freshman year one out of 10? I would say the fall, I I feel like the spring compared to the fall, I would say the spring was like a nine um, just because like I saw so much growth over that off season. And uh, I was so immature when I got to college and, you, do you think junior golf gets you ready, but it really, you really have to kind of listen and buy into the program when you get there. So um, yeah, Limbaugh and coach Todd and all the teammates just like through confrontation and just understanding where you need to get better. I would say the spring was a nine compared to the fall, but overall probably like a seven and a half, eight um, ended on a pretty high note. Uh, played well the last couple of events. Uh, I feel like I should have won SECs and maybe one or two more events, but um I think the highlight of it was, was just like being getting like really hot with the team and winning a bunch of those stroke play events in a row. And obviously we didn't meet our end goal at national championships, but uh, I think we just kind of proved to ourselves that our good golf is good enough to win a national championship. So uh, it just motivated us for this year and looking forward to hopefully having a chance for a tee time on that last day. Where's your NCAA trophy currently right now? Do you have it's, possession of it, or is it in the uh, Hall of Fame or the team shop? It's, uh, it's at my house at home, so I do have possession of it. Fireplace in your it room? Is, or? I've got, like, a little – these, like, shelves in my room, so it's sitting on there kind of front and center. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back on that week, uh, it, it's hard to believe it's been, gosh, eight, nine months, something like that. But what did you do really well that week? You know, Greyhawks, of course – that people would argue you don't hit a lot of drivers at because it kind of chokes you out once you get to a certain length. But what's one thing that allowed you to ultimately, you know, beat that great field? 
Um, yeah, I think I hit two drivers each round during stroke play. So definitely not a course where you're hitting drivers. And you're, that means you're not really having that many attackable hole locations or holes that you're expecting to really make a birdie on. So I think just kind of going in with the mindset that like par is a good score, like you're going to make a couple, you, you might make a couple birdies. I was going to say you will, but didn't make any of the final round until <laughs> that playoff hole. But um, just kind of understanding that like a, a par is a great score, like, and bogey doesn't kill you. Like, I don't think I, I limited the mistakes, didn't make any doubles, which was, which was big because like, if you make a bogey, it's not the end of the world. Double kind of shoot yourself in the foot, but um, yeah, I played well. I was playing really well the first round kind of, I think I was bogey free two under through 11 and then made a couple bogeys come in, was a little bit frustrated, but also knew that like even par, like the first day you can't win it. You can play yourself out of it. And I kind of just, put myself right in position. Um, and that was in an afternoon round and then came out early the next morning and played really well. Um, shot two under. And then we, uh, I guess we got another morning tee time. Um, shot two under again, was playing really well and bogey my last two, which took a little bit of momentum out. But like I said, kind of bogeys didn't kill you. There's definitely some hard holes out there. So um, yeah, I was going in with the one shot lead to the final round and kind of just stuck to the same mindset and knew that I was playing well enough to win and, that just not like that's a course where you can easily get frustrated, but not getting frustrated out there and um, kind of understanding where you can take advantage of holes, but also like there's holes where you're taking a par and running like seven, you're taking a par like 18, you've taken a par. Um, so yeah, just kind of understanding that there's places to build momentum and that doesn't necessarily mean you're making a birdie. Um, so just sticking to a positive mindset was huge. So I didn't get the luxury of, being there in person this year is my first NCAA missed in about 10 years. I was learning how to be a dad. And I was watching the playoff, obviously, on TV. And that drive that you hit in the playoff, how would you describe that drive? Like, what's a, what's a word? How, how would you describe that drive for someone who, uh, who maybe has never seen you hit one? Well, yeah, it was, it was interesting because we all – I got hit one driver that day on 11, and then we all got up to 18 tied. So it's, you're definitely a little nervous. And then – hit a good driving regulation. So, um, yeah, I just kind of stuck to the same mindset and knew that you're not just going to be able to kind of fake it in this playoff, especially with four people. Like you just got to kind of step up and do something. Um, we talked about three wood just cause like, if you kind of get it up there, lands on the downside, that bunker comes in hot. Like there's a chance it goes in the water, but you just kind of just took that same mindset that like, you're going to have to go take it. Um, so to describe that drive, I would say like, <laughs> I don't even know. I hit it really good. And I kind of looked at Limbaugh after head. I was like, oh, that needs to kind of sit a little bit. Um, thankfully, it landed soft. But, um, yeah, I set up kind of a perfect angle into that pin. And actually had the same exact number I had in regulation um, and just kind of committed to the club and made a good swing on it. I remember right. Was that 192? Did you hit 192 on that drive or was that? I think it was 194. <laughs> I, think, I think it was 194 but yeah that one that one was kind of under that circumstance and with that like scenario I hit it really good and was just kind of it was kind of just like a confidence builder and going to the next shot knowing that like you can kind of handle these nerves and like that was probably the biggest situation I've been in, in my golfing career but just kind of building confidence with that tee shot and then just kind of keeping it going was it hard to reset that evening to kind of get ready for match play or not a really? little bit um just because you're like, you don't have much rest, but I think just kind of 
remember like doing interviews and stuff after and you're kind of just like like you can soak it in after this week's over but the job's not finished like we came here to win a team national championship so um but at the same time like I feel like it, like it just gives you confidence that you're playing really well that week um, going into match play. And, uh, yeah, I feel like we, we came on a little slow as a team the next morning, um, but then just kind of stuck to it and knew we were playing well and eventually beat Texas Tech and then just kind of ran out of gas against Texas, which definitely stung for a little while. But I think it just motivated us to find areas to improve and know that, like, those 36 old days are going to get tough on that back nine of the second round. But I feel like we did a pretty good job this year of – uh, I think we played three events with 36 holes the first day, and I think we played really well our second 18 both time, or all three times. So that was definitely improvement and just kind of gives us some confidence going into the, um, into the spring. Did you want Cole Hammer? You just kind of knowing his resume and match play and what he did to Matt Wolf a few years back. I mean, did you – was that a conversation you and Limbaugh had, or was it just like put me whoever you want? Yeah, I think like I've always told them all that I want to play like the best player, and um, I feel like we I, I was glad to play Hammer Cole, um, and felt like if I played good golf, I had a good chance of winning that match. Um, and unfortunately, just didn't play very good. Kind of was sloppy and handed away a few holes, and uh, he was he kind of hung in there and got the job done, um, which was big for their team. But yeah, I I, I think we all know that. They're, like no matter who you play, you're just gonna have to go play good golf and beat them. Um, whether that's they're playing sloppy and you beat them seven and five, or you grind out like a twenty-one hole win, um, both are just gonna equal one point. So just going out there and getting the job done, no matter how your opponent plays, is important. So I don't think it really matters who you really play. Are you the type of player and competitor that keeps failure like that, like in your in your back pocket? Like do you? Do you use that as fuel or do you just completely wipe the slate clean and, and figure out how to, how to do better the next time? Well, I think that was one of the things that like we ran out of gas. And I remember talking to Limbaugh at like the few days after and being like, coach, like that's just somewhere we all have to get better. Um, and I think that's where like just understanding how to like getting in the workout room and getting more prepared, mentally prepared. I feel like in our workouts, we do a lot of running after. And that's just when you're coming down that, 35th hole in that day like you can just kind of look back at that and be like like you don't know what like tired is um and where we put in the work to be here so I think you definitely use it as fuel um because it's kind of stung to go out that way especially knowing like I didn't really necessarily he beat me but at the same time I kind of just gave it to him a little bit so um you you don't hang your head on it but you also just use it as fuel now the the great athletes of all, you know the greatest of all time. Not that I'm calling you the greatest of all time yet, uh, but a guy like Michael Jordan. The the story about how you know people kind of counted him out. He didn't make his you know high school team as a freshman. Just different things like that. It seems like every great athlete has had a time early in their career where maybe someone told them that, that they couldn't do something. Is there a time like maybe as a junior golfer where someone said something to you that you know, may have been like, you know, counting, counting you out, like someone who didn't believe think, that, that you could do I this. I don't think there was necessarily anything that like anyone told me, but like, I didn't really win in junior golf. Like, I feel like I played well my senior year, but never won. Um, so going into college, you kind of have that doubt in your mind. Like, can I really win golf tournaments? And um, I think just kind of, there wasn't necessarily like a, someone telling me that I couldn't do something, but it was just more like 
within myself kind of getting over that. Um, but just also trusting that like when you play good golf, like if you just keep riding that momentum, like it's going to happen at some point and don't get down on yourself. Um, and then just like when we got hot in the spring as a team, it was only like, it's like, you know what, like we put in the work to play good golf, just go out there and play golf. And it's, it's, if you do what you're supposed to do, it's going to be good golf. Um, so it, it kind of like freed us up a little bit. Um, and like we had trust in each other that if we shot a couple over par, like our other teammates are going to pick us up. Um, so yeah, I think it wasn't necessarily some, something, there was not something someone told me, but it was just kind of like overcoming that doubt in your mind. You may have or may not have seen this, but I'm, I, it actually reminded me, I just pulled up my, class of 2021 recruiting rankings and i'm just going to read the list and and we'll see how long it takes me to get to gordon Sargent. uh preston Summerhays number one uh jose Ballester number two kelly chin duke number three david ford north carolina uh recent jones cup champ number four gordon Sargent, number five looking back on that list uh rate my my performance i mean i like i I think if you're just basing just on how junior golf went, it's pretty accurate. Like, there's not much. Like, I feel like junior golf is translated to college golf a decent amount, but it also kind of depends. You could be, you could be uh, critical of me, Gordon. Don't. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't think I deserved like to be ranked any higher. Like, I played in junior golf, but I didn't necessarily think that I should have been ranked number one or anything. But also, you can just kind of use that as motivation. Like, if you're kind of ranked number one, then. It's like Coach Lemos always said, like it's easier to be the one ch- like chasing up the hill versus the one on top kind of fighting off everyone. Um, and I feel like can this, you do that in, in his voice? Can, can, you, can uh, you give us a good impression? I don't know, I don't know if I can do that one. Um, but yeah, like I remember this year, like we've kind of had the target on our back. Um, and like it's hard, like when you know you're supposed to win, like you're ranked the highest, like all this stuff. Um, and like dealing with expectations, like you said or like uh, Limbaugh says, but um, yeah, I don't think like, I'm not like mad that you rank me number five or anything, but I like, you can just kind of use that as motivation, you know? Mm -hmm. How'd you end up at Vanderbilt? I think, I think also the statue of limitations has probably ran out. You could probably reveal kind of who was in your top two or three, but how'd you, how'd you end up at Vanderbilt and uh, who'd you, who'd you have to give a, a, a tough phone call to at the end? Um, I remember I visited a decent amount of schools, mainly in the Southeast. I knew I wanted to stay like, I guess, decently close to home, but at the same time, like not be super close, not go with my whole high school and stuff. So, um, I think I visited when I was like in eighth, eighth grade for the first time and just kind of got to know the guys on the team. I I was close with Patrick Martin since he was from Birmingham too. Um, and just kind of formed a good relationship with him. Um, and then, I've known coach Todd for a while. Um, and then like once I, once I kind of just like heard what the program was about, I kind of was like, it seemed invested. Like I wanted, I, it's a place where you're going to get better. Um, and then I think I visited when I was in ninth grade. Um, and I think William Mall and Matthew Riedel just re- committed. And then Reed Davenport was about to go um, enroll in school. And I remember like talking to them and like, I think I, a big part of it was who I was going to be spending my time with. Um, and they were just great guys and we kind of hit it off and had a good connection. And, uh, I'm just, I, once I knew, once I kind of gathered all the information about all the schools, I knew Vanderbilt was the spot, the spot for me. Are you still undeclared in your major or have you decided? Uh, I'm going to do economics. So 
I, uh, I've been kind of taking the, the classes that I need to fill for the credits for the arts and science school um, at the moment, but kind of getting into a little bit more economics focused. What would you do if not for golf? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, you probably got this question before. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'd probably, it's gotta be something in sports. I really, like, I really like, like the sports agent thing is kind of intriguing. Um, so, I mean, broad answer something in sports, but yeah, I haven't really thought about it. Like, I mean, I enjoy doing stuff outdoors and stuff, but like, I don't, I don't think I could be a pro fisherman or anything, but um, uh, yeah, I, something in the sports world, if I had to pick one, maybe a sports agent. So if you're a golfer from Birmingham, you do you have to like fishing? Is that like, how, um, how, how big of a fisherman are you? Not, not big enough to be talking about doing it if I didn't play golf, but um, yeah, just like when it's seven o'clock on a summer night, like there's, there's really nothing better just kind of going out there and hanging out. Um, but no, I'm, I'm not a big fisherman at all, but um, it's pretty enjoyable. What do you enjoy doing off the golf course? What, what makes you the, the happiest? If, if shooting 59 is kind of the, the pinnacle kind of the zenith of, of a golf round, what's the, what's the 59 not playing golf the perfect day for you? Maybe winning some money in blackjack or something. Uh, no, um, we, I don't think there's nothing, anything in particular, but like, I feel like as a team, we're really close. Uh, so we just hang out all the time. And I would say probably just hanging out with the guys on the team and maybe watching some college football or something, just being all together and messing with each other, but also um, kind of just making each other better. What, what kind of a, a traveler are you? Are, are you a, are you a travel diva? Um, if, if we were to ask your teammates, or are you a guy that's uh that's always going to be on time to the van and you don't have to worry about, and we'll pretty much I, eat anything. I'm going to, I'm going to be on time. Um, I'm a, like, yeah, I'm going to be on time. I, we, I, I don't necessarily love traveling overseas. We, when we went for Paris and then Palmer cup, it was, I wasn't an avid fan of that, but uh, I enjoyed traveling. I think it's kind of fun. There are some times where you wish you were not traveling. You're just at home in your own bed, but, I think with golf, it's something that you have to embrace and just kind of go to all the cool places it takes you. So what's your, what's your horror story for traveling overseas? It sounds like you have a little bit of scar tissue. Um, well, for the Palmer cup, my clubs got lost and I, I thought I was that's, never, that's par for the course. Never see them again. I, I'm also not a fan of the like eight hour flights. That's, but uh, yeah, I thought I was never going to see them again, but kind of, kind of had dialed in a, little set of just a bunch of random clubs but eventually the clubs show up which was we kind of had to call the airport and tell them that I had to have my clubs for a pro event the next day and they somehow got them to me but uh yeah I'm not a huge fan of the super long flights I I mean if it's like a if it's under two hour flights like ideal so but also like with college golf I don't mind us all getting in the van and driving a couple hours because we can all hang out together What's a golf course that you could play every day for the rest of your life? Mm, I mean, I would probably say like my home course, Shoal Creek. I think it's a great spot. And we've got a bunch of guys down there that I, I could play with every single day. So I think I've kind of got it made down there and I've been really fortunate to be able to play out there. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of tour guys down there. Um, 
you mentioned at this at the start of this kind of picking some some players brains about Augusta about the Masters who's your who's your mentor like who's who's the guy you go with or go to when you when you really need something um I think so Trey Mullinax and Smiley Kaufman are both down there and they've um they've definitely been in situations where I can kind of pick their brain. So I'm definitely going to reach out to both of them about how to kind of handle the situation, but also just like they, all of them have been in my situation at some point um, in college golf. So, and like they've gone through all the different processes that come with it. So um, they've all been super helpful and um, I just enjoy playing with them every day and just kind of seeing where I need to get better and um, where I can improve, take my game to the next level. Have you gotten a chance to see Smiley in action with the microphone in his hands? I have. He was at USAM, and I guess he's recently at the Century Tournament Champions, and I think Smiley's really got on the mic. Him and the, I think the USAM, him and Colt Nost as a duo was was pretty undefeated. Well, I think the next time you get on this podcast, maybe we'll have Smiley instead of me. You know, you get a little <laughs> bit of a an upgrade. But uh, Gordon, uh, thanks so much. Thanks for your time. I know. You know, you're getting pulled in a lot of directions by a lot of different people. And, uh, you know, you've, you've continued to play well through it all. So good luck this spring. I'm sure I'll see you down the road really soon. And uh, if not before then, see you at Augusta. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxiloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus chews. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.